we are such a powerful and strong movement in almost every historical um, revolution in history, the youth are always there side by side with the marginalized sectors, with our workers leading the way. And now it's our time, it's our generation's time to you know, change the world. And we're gonna do it one way or another because we have to. Welcome to the Common Ground Podcast, where we bring together under our podcast roof changemakers from both the social and environmental spaces, people who've made extraordinary achievements in the areas they're passionate about. Each episode, we bring you insight from a new activist as we talk to them about their stories and the causes that spurred them to take action. I'm thrilled to be bringing you season two in collaboration with Arctic Angels, a global youth-led network fighting for the protection of the global commons and in particular, raising awareness of the polar ice crisis. I'm really excited to be joined this week by Mitzi Janelle Tan, who joined us from Manila in the Philippines. She's the convener and international spokesperson of Youth Advocates for Climate Action Philippines, also known as YACAP, which is like the Fridays for Future of the Philippines. She's also active in the Fridays for Future international group where she advocates for climate justice and making sure that the voices of most affected people and areas, that's MAPA, strikers are heard, amplified and given space. She first became an activist in 2017 after integrating with Indigenous leaders and this is something that we talk about in a little bit more detail in in the episode. This pushed her to realise that system change is what we need for a just and greener society. She was so fabulous to speak to and so full of wisdom so I really really hope that you enjoy our episode. Mitzi welcome to the Common Ground podcast. Thank you thank you for having me I'm really excited. Wow it's lovely to have you here. Um, I guess we should start maybe with a a little bit of an introduction into into who you are where you're from where you are in the world and um, and how you're doing. Um, Hey everyone, so I'm Mitzi Janelle Tan. I'm a climate justice activist based in Manila, Philippines. Um, How am I? I am okay, you know, climate anxiety is there, but but it's always there at this point and we just push forward with it. How's your year been in terms of the pandemic and um, and what's that been like to experience in in the Philippines? This year has been crazy, like I can't imagine it's already been two months, like it's gone so fast. Um, We in the Philippines are part of this global campaign where we're um, targeting Standard Chartered Bank. And it felt like we were just in the planning stages like a few weeks ago, and now everything's going really, really fast. And it's really this, it's this really cool campaign where we're asking Standard Chartered Bank, which is one of the world's largest coal financers, um, to stop funding fossil fuel industries uh, and especially in the Philippines where Standard Chartered Bank is the bank that puts the most money in our coal project so we're, we're going to have them like stop funding the coal in our countries. Such an exciting campaign and you say that's happening globally so you've got lots of other partners that you're working with and other activists across the world. Yes it's so exciting because I think in the Fridays for Future movement this will be the first um, like really global campaign where we're targeting something very specific so other countries involved are argentina colombia brazil indonesia um germany netherlands and it's just it's this it's really this really global campaign with mostly from 
um, activists from the global south, which is why it's also so special and such a nice campaign. They've brought up so many things there that I want to sort of touch on later on, but I think probably we should go back to the start, if that's okay. And, you know, reading about your work, it seems like there was a, a sort of a point um, where you started to work a lot with Indigenous leaders. And I was wondering what it was about those moments, those conversations that you had, intergenerational conversations, that pushed you onwards and start taking action in the realm of climate justice. There is actually a very defining moment when I decided to become an activist. Um, it was very deliberate. Um, so before this moment, I was like, I cared about the environment. I talked to people and, and you know, did my own part um, in, in my environmental advocacy. But when I was able to talk to an indigenous leader of our land, he was telling me about how they were being displaced and killed and harassed and militarized all for protecting their land. And then he, after saying all those atrocities, he ever so simply shrugged and then chuckled and said, that's why we have no choice but to fight back. Then he just kept going. And it was the simplicity of his words, the fact that he wasn't even trying to convince us of anything that really got to me. Like, I realized then and there that I had this quote-unquote privilege of being able to choose to become an activist. But then if I really think about it, he's right. We all have no choice but to be activists at this point. Our planet, our home, our lives are being threatened and in danger. So we have to fight back. And so in terms of the first steps that you, you took after that conversation, where did your mind go? What did you do? It was a mess. I remember crying after that because, you know, here's this really old guy. Um, encouraging us the youth to keep going and I just said by this time he shouldn't have to be an activist right like we really have to join that struggle um the struggle of our indigenous people after that I kept talking to other frontline um, environmental defenders so other farmers the the fishing communities so that I could really learn and understand more because the way issues are taught in school it, it's important yes but it's it's lacking a very grounded and real truth that comes that you will only understand from actually talking to people who are experiencing these injustices and and after that um i started talking to my friends and i started joining organizations that were um, in line with with what i was thinking with what i with what i was advocating for at that point there were no climate groups yet so I joined this science for the people organization that had like environment and climate as one of its um, points of unity. Um, then yeah, then like a few years later in 2019, a few of us really saw the need to have a climate organization that really focuses on climate. So we decided to make um, YACAP, which is Youth Advocates for Climate Action Philippines, basically the Fridays for Future of the Philippines. So how many of you sort of co-founded that and, um, and what were your aims as a, as a group? Um, so the difference with Yakup is that it's not just an organization, it's also an alliance. So two organizations founded that. So um, the one organization is this Science for the People organization. The other organization is like an Environmentalists for the People organization. Um, and then we reached out to other organizations. So we have organizations of pre-med students and organizations of um like artists, like people who like to draw and organizations of, of 
um, engineers. And it's really cool because like what happens is you can see how the different backgrounds of the students reflects in how they attack the climate crisis. Like the engineers will bring in that side of the, the coin and the artists will bring in to make sure that our strikes are really pretty and actually <laughs> understandable. And the journalist students will be like, okay, wait, this part that you're saying about the science, people won't understand what this means. And they're like, oh, right, thanks. So it's really cool to see how different um, backgrounds come into each other. And, and we also talk a lot with older generations so that they, we can learn from them and really other sectors of society, because that is what climate justice has to be. It has to be very grounded in the masses and the people that are experiencing the climate crisis firsthand. I think that's such a, such a lovely illustration there of the fact that if we're going to fight this, we need all of those people bringing their mm. special skills and, you know, their personalities or their talents to the table and sort of bringing that, bringing that all together. It's such a lovely demonstration of that idea. And also the idea that there are many different forms of activism and your forte might not be in going out onto the streets or you may not be comfortable with that, but actually you can rally and help where, wherever your talents lie. Yeah, exactly. Like, so there is so much more to activism than the street protests, which are very important, but like the hours of work behind those are, are arguably more important. Like talking to people and organizing people and getting people on board, I would say is, is more grueling and time consuming. Absolutely. So um, with your, your youth advocates for, for, for climate action, group what kind of things have you been doing I know that you've managed to organize an incredible number of strikes and rally some huge on the ground support in the Philippines is, is that right to say yes I, I would I, I would like to say that we have <laughs> good support <laughs> I hope we do yeah we do um, the this aside from the strikes um, a lot of what we did before the pandemic was going to classrooms and going to schools and asking teachers to give us like five to 10 minutes of their time so that we could talk about the climate crisis. And then we'd invite the students to come out after class to keep talking. Um, we would also bring students to frontline communities so that we could learn from each other. So there's that very real repository of knowledge from both sides, from the communities most impacted from, and from the students who actually like have learned about climate science in schools and the exchange of knowledge is just so beautiful and so important. Um, during the pandemic, so things, a lot of things had to change. Uh, a lot of it went online. We did a lot of webinars, still doing the same thing, raising awareness about the climate crisis. We also did some relief operations for our frontline defenders who were affected economically by the COVID-19 lockdowns and by the climate crisis. Um, yeah, that's that's a lot. Of, that's what we do. And this coming April, a lot of our efforts will focus on bringing back those climate teach-ins, but with the community and with students. Hopefully, the pandemic is better by by then. But but yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to touch upon the you know the idea that Arctic Angels is a a youth led. It's an intergenerational action network, which you're a part of, like I am. Um, we unite under this sort of ultimate aim of protecting our global commons and uh, driving action on the ice crisis. For someone who lives in the Philippines to advocate for these ideas, some people might say, well, why? What, what's your answer to that? I mean, the Philippines is the fourth most climate vulnerable country in the world. 
um, in the past decade. And if the ice crisis, you know, continues, if, if we reach that um, tipping point, we will be one of the ones that are most impacted. Like, we will be the ones who experience the worst sea level rising, the worst typhoons, the worst um, droughts. And so this is something that we have to care about. And we don't talk about it enough because it feels so far away because we don't see snow. I've never seen snow in you know, in my life, I've never seen, well, I've seen ice, but like, you know, in drinks. <laughs> so it's so hard to explain to people here in the Philippines that it is a threat that we need to really, really protect and pour our energy into. But it's something that people really need to understand because once the ice melts, it, there's no turning back. And, and I guess that sort of ties into this idea and, and it must be a really sort of hard balance for you because essentially a lot of what's happening, the climate crisis that's being faced by, you know, people in your country is largely because of the actions of people mm. in, in other countries. Exactly. And that's why it's, it's difficult because you don't want people to feel like they're powerless and helpless. Like I, we don't want them to think, okay, what can I do? Because even if I do everything I can here, nothing's going to change because most of the the blame and the responsibility are on global north countries and that's when we say that's why we also ask for accountability and we demand for justice like yes there's not much we can do inside the philippines but there's so much we can do by raising our voices and making sure that the global north countries and activists in global north countries hear our stories so that they can also bring our stories to their countries and I guess that's why campaigns like your, you know, your global campaign for the uh, Standard Bank is so critical because it it shows, it, you know, the, the, the aim of it is to, to highlight what's happening and to sort of demonstrate that to people to the global north. And there must be a, a real power in coming together to, to, to do that. Exactly, because like Standard Chartered is a UK bank, but most of its market is in Asia and Africa, and most of the coal projects it funds is also in Asia and Africa. Um, so usually people in UK don't even know about the bank or what it's doing, but but it's in your countries, and, and it's something that you can like act against. So you're part of Fridays for Future. You're a convener of your, your own youth group in the Philippines. You're part of the Arctic Angels Network. I... I wondered what your thoughts are on the, the power of global collaborative networks and groups like the ones I've just mentioned before. I feel like it is so important that we connect globally because we are facing a global crisis, a global systemic crisis. So we need a global systemic solution. And without connecting with each other, without having these conversations with each other, it's extremely difficult for activists let's say in the global north to really see what is needed because like i have met people let's say from the u.s who think the green new deal of the u.s is the end all be all and is already amazing and i have to remind them that yes it's it's cool it's pretty good but it's not enough like it's still built on the exploitation of countries in the global south and we are still going to sink and and you know, we, we will still flood and burn because of um, because the global because the Green New Deal is still not enough. And that's why global um, movements are so important, because that way it pushes activists in more privileged areas to fight harder. 
like not just fight for what is enough for their country, but to fight for what is enough across the world. And I feel like you will care more if you actually talk to someone from that country, if you've actually heard the story and the voice of someone from that country. If you have a friend from that country, then you will end up caring and fighting harder. It's, it's so powerful. And, and, you know, I know a lot of people criticize, you know, social media and um, social media platforms and that kind of thing. But the, the connection that that's enabled and, and the fact that you and I are talking and yes. thousands <laughs> of miles away we are, um, you know, re- really demonstrates that if people come together for the right reasons, look what can happen. And the climate strikes at the beginning of, of last year that happened simultaneously around the world shows that we can all be united in the, in the movement. Exactly. Like, like we are eight hours apart, but we're talking to each other. And, and that's so cool and like kind of blows my mind every time I think about it. Yeah, it blows my mind too. Absolutely. Um, I, I wanted to go back to, to your work and the actions and the, the movement of um, other climate activists in the Philippines. How has that been received on the ground? Because obviously you're doing an incredible amount of out- outreach. You talked about your, the, the teach-ins, um, the strikes. What is the, the situation on the ground and, and how are people receiving that? It's torn. So the communities we talk to they usually understand and are very supportive because they they themselves see that the climate crisis is real. Like we don't go in there and say, hey, this is what's happening to you. This is what you're experiencing. Like we ask them, what are you guys experiencing? And they say, we're seeing this, we're seeing the sea levels change. We're seeing the fishing, pat- the patterns of the fish change. We're seeing how um, the farming seasons had had to adjust because of the, the different weather patterns. And then we just go, okay, yeah, exactly. This is this is the name for that. We're basically just giving people names and we're saying that this isn't natural. This is something that we can fight, uh, uh, fight back with. These are the multinational companies and the fossil fuel industries and the coal plants that are doing this. And they see it because they also live near the coal plants. So they also see the pollution that's happening in the sicknesses that they're getting because of it and so it's it's really this exchange of information and and that's what i if any if anyone listening has to remember something it's that you don't go into a community and dictate knowledge like like knowledge and education cannot be top down you have to do an exchange because they have knowledge and experiences that we will never understand and that we will never fully grasp and that knowledge i would say is a lot richer because like science and and numbers that's something you can learn but working off the land and having your livelihood be tied to the environment is something you will only learn if you actually do it um on the other hand, though, you have the government and its supporters and, and that one, we're not as received as warmly. Um, we are often called terrorists or um, red, we, they call it red tagged here. So red tagged is like when they say you're a communist. Um, and in the Philippines, that's basically saying that you're a terrorist because it's listed as a terrorist organization. So there have been environmental activists who were preparing community kitchens and then killed. There were activists on the way to relief operations and arrested because they said that they were terrorists because they had like these um, pamphlets that would explain what was happening in the country and and the fossil fuel industries. Um, 
I have received death threats and harassment in online comments and calling me terrorists. Um, the Lieutenant General Army of the Philippines said that young girls wearing short shorts calling to protect the environment are doing it to entice young men to join the rebel army. So like the mental gymnastics that had to go from young girls, short shorts, protecting the environment, and then rebel army. It's just, it's such a loop. It's such a, it's such a big leap. And, and it's crazy because it, that type of backwards misogynist thinking is, is seeping into people like during the time when we had back-to-back -back typhoons and we were calling for accountability and demanding justice, the comments of the people would be like, you, you don't deserve help from, for the typhoons because you're wearing short shorts. And it's just like, where is this narrative even coming from? And yeah. it's crazy. That is so, uh, you know, it, it saddens me so much to sort of hear those stories. And it actually makes me so angry because you're fighting for your futures and to think that you're experiencing such backlash I think is just and to turn that narrative into something so misogynistic is just so unbelievable to hear and it and you know you talk about being labeled as a sort of a terrorist organization or a terrorist you know and, and I'm sure the implications of that down the line as you say people are being killed and murdered or you know assassination it is just is just unbelievable it is like I, I my friends sometimes find it hard to believe when I say that, like, when we call for system change under the new anti-terror law of 2020, it classifies as a terrorist act. And like, that's a slogan of the climate movement, right? Like system change, not climate change. But but we have to be careful in the way we say it because um, we could be labeled as terrorists. Gosh, it is, it is unbelievable. I wonder if you can sort of touch on a, a personal highlight of your journey up until this point. My personal highlight so far would, oh my God, it's going to sound so cheesy, but it's, it's, it's the friends that I've made along the way. <laughs> that sounds like such a cringy answer, but it really is um, <laughs> my personal highlight. Like we are battling such a difficult situation, like taking, like taking down the climate crisis also means dealing with all the systemic oppression and injustices of the world. And that sounds like such a big and daunting task. Um, so I am so grateful that, you know, along the way, I've made these amazing friends from my country and from every part of the world, except Antarctica, Antarctica, <laughs> but like, like literally there is a friend in every continent that is fighting for the same thing that you are. And that is such a beautiful thing to me that that gives me so much hope thinking that we are joining us, the youth, we are joining a struggle and a fight that has gone on for generations. We are joining the indigenous peoples and the farmers and the fishing communities and the, the mar most marginalized sectors. They've been doing this for so much longer than we have and we are joining them. So even just that alone in our own country, joining them is already so reassuring because like there's so many of us. And then bring it up a notch and knowing that you're not just fighting in your own country, but you're fighting with people across the world for the same thing. It, it almost seems impossible to me to lose because there is literally so many of us fighting for the same thing. How can we lose? Like victory is inevitable in my eyes. And I guess that also talks already answers like what I think of the future. I am hopeful because, you know, we are such a, powerful and strong movement in almost every historical 
um, revolution in history, the youth are always there side by side with the marginalized sectors, with our workers leading the way. And now it's our time, it's our generation's time to you know, change the world. And we're going to do it one way or another because we have to. Absolutely. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like people to take away from your story and your journey so far? Hmm. Um, maybe, is it two things? Maybe three things. Two things. Okay. First is always make sure that you're listening to the people most impacted and highlighting and amplifying their stories. We all have our own sets of privileges. So even I am privileged and I have to amplify the voices of those most marginalized in my country. If you are a white activist, then you have to um, highlight and amplify the voices of BIPOC activists. And this is so, so important because the climate crisis is an intersectional crisis. Those who are most impacted by the climate crisis are also those who are already impacted by sexism, fascism, racism, um, class inequality. And so it's all of this together and we have to be very, very aware of the privileges that we all have. And we have to realize that it is going to be a lifelong journey of unlearning the systemic injustices and systems of oppression that's been ingrained in us and in society. And so we have to be open to being called out. We have to be open to have these difficult conversations because learning and changing is not an easy process. Of course, it's going to hurt to find out that you are being um, racist or, or um, colonialist, even if you're not doing it on purpose. So we have to make sure that we're willing to change because we're doing this as a movement. Like for me, activism and being an activist is just about being a good person. And sometimes it's not easy because you were taught differently and it's not your fault if, if you were taught differently. It's just that you have to be open to changing. The second thing is I really believe that um, there's a quote actually. Um, a true revolutionary has to be guided by feelings of love. And I believe in that so much. Like people ask me, Mitzi, how do you not get burnt out or how do you avoid getting burnt out? And for me at this point, my activism no longer stems from a place of anger and sadness. It used to be like anger, fear, and sadness. But now it's grown and developed into this place of love for the people, for the environment, for what I'm doing. And it's a much more sustainable force to drive you forward. And it's so important that we have that sustainability because it's going to be a very, very long, um, very, very, very long struggle. And we have to keep going. And, and love is something that no one can take away from us. Like we can be desensitized to fear. We can be desensitized to anger. We can end up not being angry anymore or they can take that away from us, but they can never take away love and friendship. There's such beautiful words to end by. Well, my final question was gonna be about a quotation. So- uh... <laughs> Oh, but I do have another quote. Oh, okay. I like okay. it. So recently I was in a talk with Jane Fonda and she said this amazing quote. So she said she used to think that activism was a sprint, but then she realized we have to rest. It's a marathon. And then she grew older and then she realized it's not a marathon either. It's a relay race. So the older generation has to pass the baton into the younger generation. And then that younger generation will have to pass that baton forward eventually. So, and that is such a beautiful thing to me. Like I, I've always heard the sprint marathon part of that quote, but never the 
relay race part of the code and it's so true like we have to keep passing on our activism that's so true and it's so and, and it, it perfectly demonstrates the sort of intergenerationalness of it absorbing all that knowledge while we can and then when our time comes passing that baton on yeah mm -hmm. i really really like that thank you so much for sharing it's a really good quote. <laughs> I, 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 I wish I could claim it as my own, but it's yeah. not. <laughs> a big thanks once again to Mitzi for joining us and for imparting so much incredible knowledge and for really reminding us that being able to fight for our futures is, is a privilege in itself and it's a responsibility as well as a privilege that we all have to stand up where we can and to fight for those most affected. Uh, so I really, really hope that you had some takeaways from that episode, because I, I definitely did. Please do follow Mitzi and Yakup's work. I will make sure to drop their social media handles in the show notes. As ever, I'm at Common Ground Co on Instagram, and you can follow the work of Arctic Angels at GC Arctic Angels. See you next time.